Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. In reality, whenever you're growing in your career, something that's really critical is to, instead of being strong and independent, is being kind to yourself. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, you'll hear real world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry and personally know the steps needed to succeed. Hi, welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. My name is Sarah Healy. I'm the digital design manager here at Women Who Code. And today I have Dagna Bieta with me. Uh, Dagna is a software engineer turned career coach for engineers, coding for over 10 years and coaching for the past four years. She's a tough love, been in your shoes kind of coach. Her clients have various backgrounds from working at small companies to fang companies, and their experiences range from two to 20 plus years with education ranging from self-taught through career-changing boot camps, college graduates, and some with military backgrounds. As a coach, she helps her clients reach for their potential and exciting career opportunities by reprogramming their mindset for success. Welcome, Dagna, to the Women Who Code podcast. Um, So I know a little bit about your background, um, but I do have, just to kind of get um, the first part out of the way, I just want to ask you as a career coach, you know, a lot about careers, but yourself have a really fascinating one. What was it about robotics and automation engineering that first made you want to study it? Hey, Sarah, first of all, thanks so much for having me here. I'm really stoked for the conversation that we're about to have. And in terms of my own career, you know, if I were to sum it up in one sentence, I was just following my curiosity. When I was uh, a teenager, I really wanted to create the future. And I know it sounded like vague and big, but in reality, the thing that sounded most futuristic at the time when I was selecting my college, robotics seemed to be the way to go. You know, I thought, oh my gosh, if I can build robots, how cool is that? You know, maybe I'll build some robots that um, are self-driving cars. Maybe I'll help landing Mars. Maybe I'll assist in building robots that save people's lives in like automated surgeries. You know, there were so many topics coming up in the robotics world. I thought, yes, this is what I want to do. This is what, this is the world that I want to be a part of. The fun thing about it too, though, is as I went, progressed in my career, as I was studying in college, I got this robotics engineering job. And I quickly realized that building robots takes time and was really boring. <laughs> Plus, maybe it's just the kind of robots that I worked on. Um, it just ended up taking a lot of the time. So when I joined the team that I was working on at the time, uh, I was creating a robot that um, the funding came from European Union uh, Special Projects, which is kind of like an equivalent of United States DARPA. Right. So I was in a project being funded by the EU and it took a long time, a few years before the robot was actually built, uh, before we could start testing any algorithms, before we would put it in front of people and do any sort of human robot interaction. And in reality, that timeline, that time frame for someone who was so fresh, so new into the career, it fell just so freaking long I thought now I gotta go into something that is 
more fast, where I can see results that has more impact because that's the other reality of building robots. Once you build it, guess what? Probably 10 PhD students is going to ever touch that particular robot. And that's it. That's your impact. <laughs> so it felt like not enough, you know? Yeah. And it definitely sounds like you're like passing the torch into the next generation of people. Now we have, we're going into AI and all like machine learning. Um, we're like in a new generation of robotics. Um, that kind of leads me into, you sort of touched a little bit note on it. Um, but can you tell us their full transition from software engineering to career coach for software engineers? Yeah, absolutely. So first, you know, as that robotics engineer, before I went into software engineering, the reason was that I felt this lack of impact. I felt that building robots was too slow for what I needed at the time that early in my career where, where I wanted to go fast. I wanted to iterate quickly. I wanted to learn as much as I could and have that impact. And so creating apps uh, and, you know, building programs is a much easier way for creating impact because here's what happens whenever you're a software engineer, you just create a feature or update a bug and then your deployment pipeline can potentially release your app that you're working on to millions of users. So the impact is completely different than that robot I mentioned earlier that, you know, only 10 PhD students might ever touch it. And the reason I went through uh, this particular career transition, going from robotics engineer to software engineer, was really falling in love. I fell in love with my husband, whom I met at a hostel, and he convinced me to move from um, Poland, where I'm originally from, to United States. And I thought, well, the region where he's located, where I would potentially move for us to try, try it out and be together, um, is not really full of robotics jobs. So, like, what am I going to do now? So, you know, people that fall in love do crazy things. And so I did something crazy too, and I became a software engineer, and then I moved. So software engineering, I got a confession to make here, Sarah. I absolutely hated coding when I was in college. Hated it. It would really make me cry myself to sleep sometimes. Because, I mean, the learning curve is steep. And there's so much to learn. And when you're starting out, there's so many questions, but it feels like nothing really makes sense. And what's worse, in the university, I felt like all my professors and all my TAs, whenever they were explaining the programming concepts, it sounded like, yeah, duh, sure, of course, I get it. And then when I had to sit down and actually implement what they said in order to turn in my programming assignment, oh, man, <laughs> That was terrifying. That was just soul crushing and I hated it. So the you're day definitely I graduated, accessing parts of your brain that you didn't know that you had when you're getting into software engineering. I could definitely agree. As someone who was, I have to admit, I was a, a boot camp dropout. And now I'm in the same field as you were. I'm here to encourage women who have that power in their 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 brain to do these act to do these um to do these jobs that we need. And it's awesome, Sarah, that you gave it a try because until you give it a try, you don't really know. Is that my thing? No, exactly, is it not yeah. my thing? So it's really critical to kind of like give yourself permission to try, right? And for me, once I got into software engineering and once I got my first software job, 
that's when people showed me the people that worked with me on my team and had way more experience than I had at the time. They showed me what it really was about, right? That writing code is not about showing off your programming skills or knowing how many um, algorithms like or how fast you can code an algorithm, right? What the lead code would suggest you should know. In reality, it's creating maintainable software that's easy for other people to take over, maintain, build upon, because as software engineers or really engineers in tech, whether that's software, AIML, QA, uh, DevOps, it's about creating the kind of code that other people can take over and build upon, right? How do you uh, create something that, again, other people can contribute to so it's not just about you but that's amazing thing that also helps you create impact right the more people can work together on a project um the bigger impact you can have because you put all these um you, you create impact through leverage if that makes sense yeah no definitely definitely um what um so we're here today to talk about how to accelerate career growth, regardless of educational background. And working as a software engineer, you're going to be, when you get your first job in it, you're going to be sitting in a space with people who have a range of different educational backgrounds. You know, you're going to be the person that's like, oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? You know, all you have all the soft skills, you have all the skills to do this. What is your advice for accelerating your career growth, regardless of your educational level? Uh, would you advise people to get a formal education, a boot camp? Self learning is like a very big thing right now. Um, or do you think that they're all equally valid? Yes. So let me tell you that I've worked with all kinds of engineers, whether they had like their actual CS degree or went through a boot camp or were self-taught devs. Everybody has different kinds of qualities. But the truth is, whenever you become an engineer, you are always learning. It never stops. There's always something new that comes up that you kind of need to know. You know, you need to be updated. You need to be downloading from the internet all those updates into your mind. And so the reality is, depending on what's your background, there are different things to look out as you're progressing in your career. So, for example, I had um, more formal education because, like I said, I went through robotics, but I had many programming classes. And so my problem as a software engineer with a quote unquote traditional background was that um, I put a lot of effort, well, a lot of emphasis on technical foundation. And that's a mistake I see a lot of engineers that come to me also make, right? If you have like a really solid background and you feel that your technical skills are solid because of your background, what happens is you miss out on soft skills. And then you become this SME subject matter expert who's being ignored, even if they have phenomenal ideas, right? Because you're missing communication skills and you're not able to get all this that, that's in your head and get it out to other people. On the flip side, with my bootcamp clients that come to me as a career coach, what happens is they have good enough technical skills that has landed them a job, but they don't feel like it's solid enough because they lack that particular um, um, traditional background. 
And so with them, what we work on is building their confidence because what you really need in software engineering is the attitude that you're able to solve the problem, whatever comes your way. It's not about knowing all the answers, which a lot of people coming from a bootcamp fixate on. It's like, I don't know the answer to that question. I am doing this wrong. I am terrible. I'm horrible. I should not continue in this career path. No, <laughs> no. What I, what I want to share with all the bootcamp grads listening to this is just keep at it. At one point, everything would fall into place and you'll get the hang of it. You'll start understanding. It's just that level of admission is steep, right? So you have to put in the proverbial 10,000 hours in order to be able to feel solid about your technical foundation, but you absolutely can get there. What's interesting though, with the bootcamp grad clients is that a lot of the time they have the soft skills. So what happens is whenever they do feel confident in their technical skill set, I see them going, rising through the ranks way faster than the typical formally educated folks. Does that make sense? It does. I agree. I was actually going to, well, I was going to ask, what are some soft skills you think are required for technical? But I was also going to add that I do kind of see like a path where people who have more of a traditional like computer science, bachelor's degree or master's or any like higher education, they go into a more um, like individual contributor technical role. And then you see boot campers who kind of have, I don't want to say like the real life experience beforehand, but they do a lot of the boot campers are career transitioners. Um, and so they sort of have that managerial career path background already. Um, but for people who might want to like, who, who are more in it, like have the, um, like the individual contributor role, but want to get into, you know, more managerial career path. What are some of the soft skills that you think are required to advance that? Yeah. So here are, here, here are a few, Sarah. So essentially, um, I would focus on clear communication, right? That stems from the fact that again, even though, if you're in an individual contributor role and you're doing um, working on your tasks, delivering your features, fixing your bugs, in reality, you are working with other people to create products for other people. And so people are like the inescapable fact of being an engineer in tech, right? So clear communication, which in my world is setting expectations, realizing hidden dependencies, setting boundaries, asking clarifying questions, and also active listening, right? Participating in a conversation and paying attention to what the other person is saying to then ask questions that are deep, meaningful, and can bring both people on the same page, right? So that's skill number one in terms of soft skills. The second one is collaboration. Collaboration goes um, beyond just communication because whenever you communicate with people, a lot of the time you're on the same page and then you dive into your own thing collaborating is really when you're doing things together right so that might require you to reach out to people right or maybe find some hidden processes or dependencies across teams or across departments that you work with in order to unblock the process and help the business that you work for help the business's bottom line then we have the third um, piece which would be proactivity and ownership uh, with proactivity, it's really about leading initiatives. And it could be something that you propose at workplace, 
Um, it could be something as simple as organizing a meetup or getting all the engineers on your team to go to a conference together, right? But with the ownership, what I really think about here is admitting if you made a mistake, right? Not trying to blame anybody else, but being um, being able to own how maybe the work that you've done influenced the team, the feature, the impact, um, or the product that you've been working on. Then uh, there's business acumen, which is essentially understanding how you as an engineer work within like the big machinery of business, how you and your daily job is really contributing to whatever the business is trying to achieve. And one last thing, which is super important, but people really hate it, especially the engineers I work with, which is marketing, right? A lot of the time we kind of assume as engineers that our work speaks for itself and it does not, right? We're not painters. So it's not obvious to other people what it is that we're working on. Um, so, you know, with marketing, whenever I work with my coaching clients one-on-one, we really focus on helping them market themselves with integrity. So it's not any of the fake it till you make it stuff. I hate that. Uh, it's about understanding what you're good in and being learning how to educate others on the value that you bring to the table as a professional. And one of the things that people often overlook is how their diverse background can be really of tremendous value. Just having a different perspective or being from a different walk of life, like being a, a bootcamp changer, career changer, uh, that could provide tremendous value in brainstorming solutions to actual business problems that the business you work for is trying to solve. I want to just touch a little bit about, because you mentioned it is the hardest thing I think for most engineers, because it's probably a little bit of a cliche, but I feel like most engineers are introverts. Um, And what, can you dive a little bit more into marketing as far as like, how could they market themselves to accelerate their career growth? Like, what are some tips that you might have for someone who's struggling with that part? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, that a big mindset shift around marketing is, again, this attitude of fake it till you make it, which for a lot of people feels out of integrity. And they just don't want to do it because they don't want to be lying to others like, hey, I'm better than I really am. You know, for a lot of engineers that I work with, that feels yuck, right? They want to be able to talk about themselves in a way that feels good but also feels in integrity. So you don't want to be, um, so so here's part of the problem. Marketing is often associated with selling people stuff that they don't need or convincing them to do something they don't want to do. So you really have to kind of dive deeper into like, what are the limiting beliefs that you have behind self-marketing yourself? Is it the marketing itself or is it something that you believe about yourself um, that is making you kind of hide, want to hide behind that screen, you know? Um, A lot of the time, those limiting beliefs tell us, for example, that we're not going to be safe if we speak up, if we stand up, if we promote our idea. But in reality, whenever we don't talk about ourselves and our contributions, people just don't know what we're working in. If you think about it as an engineer, you're kind of this magical wizard, right? That just magically does something with the computer and all of a sudden the bugs disappear or new features are being created within the product. And people just don't necessarily understand what it is that you're working 
on. So it's on you to educate them. And it's on you to gather the evidence and talk about how what you've been working on has contributed to the business's bottom line. For a lot of people, they would think like, oh, isn't that my manager's job? And the reality is, even if your manager is absolutely amazing, they have completely different set of priorities. Your career is not at the top of their priority list. Let's be real, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, that kind of like sort of segues into, well, you talked about like faking it till you make it. And I feel like most, especially women in technology need to understand that like, they're not faking anything. They're doing it. They're doing the, they're doing the hard work. They just need to understand how to kind of, I guess, really essentially just learn how to market themselves. But that sort of leads into my next, I think these go hand in hand is imposter syndrome. And I feel like that's what is the roadblock that a lot of, especially women in technology have when it comes to marketing themselves or trying to accelerate into a more leadership, to more leadership roles um, um, or anything like that in general. But what, um, as a career coach, I feel like you probably run into this a lot where people come to you and they're like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And the biggest thing you have to say is like, you can do this. And it's really just imposter syndrome that I think that they're struggling with, but how, what is your advice? What, or from like personal experience, how would you overcome imposter syndrome? That's the big question. I feel like everyone is always trying to figure that out every single day. Okay. So let's dive right in. So first (laughs) of all, I feel imposter syndrome as a term is being overused, right? Imposter syndrome in my book is this feeling that stops you that absolutely halts your progress, that makes you unable to do what it is that you're doing, unable to to apply for jobs, unable to speak with your manager about a promotion, unable to promote yourself. So if that's what's happening, okay, that's imposter syndrome. But a lot of the time, I feel that my clients are going through this growth period and they feel discomfort but they still keep at it. They still keep going. They still keep moving. They're putting in the hours, even though it feels uncomfortable. They're going through those growing pains, if you will. And that is not imposter syndrome, although people confuse the two, right? And so with imposter syndrome, I feel that I passed it in my engineering career. I got to a point where I understood what engineering is about, software engineering specifically, creating maintainable code for other people and then collaborating in order to increase the impact. And once I had that frame of mind, I felt good about my contributions. The second thing I did was get a lot of feedback, right? So I got, as I was growing, I was just pursuing feedback everywhere. Even though it's sting in the moment, I knew that the biggest limiter the biggest obstacle to my growth is me and not knowing what I don't know so when I reached out to people um, you know they would give me a lot of phenomenal feedback but here's the thing asking about that feedback that really quality feedback that goes deep is on you right so you need to be able to step out and reach out to people and ask them hey how can I improve what is it that I'm doing that's messing things up Uh, What am I missing? How can I grow? How can I step into this next role that's for me? And that feedback can really unlock a lot because you get clarity. Whenever you're clear what's important and what are the metrics that you should be optimizing for as you're growing your career, it becomes easy to execute because it's clear. 
um, easy with an asterisk, right? Because even though you are, you might be clear, you might know what needs to happen, you might still have limiting beliefs about either you or the world around you. And with limiting beliefs, beliefs, the thing is, um, you know, AI is super popular right now. And how does AI um, look like? Well, we have those programs that we train on models. And then depending on what the robot was trained on, it has those models on how to act. The same thing happens in our mind. So whenever we live through certain experiences in our life that literally programs our mind and creates mental models of who we are, how we work, how the world around us operates. And sometimes they serve us whenever, for example, we have high confidence and we believe in ourselves and our ability to figure things out. But sometimes those beliefs are going to be the thing that keeps us back, right? Like, for example, if I speak up, somebody will... Uh, respond they'll shut me down and everybody will know what kind of an idiot I am right it's like I'm blowing this out of proportion but I've heard it over and over and over again Um, in some of my clients responses like why they're having trouble standing up marketing themselves and speaking up so it's really about um, also understanding what is it that's holding you back and being clear on where you want to go what you want to do in order to move in that direction and get past the imposter syndrome because the discomfort is always going to be there whenever you're doing something new right but as long as it doesn't hold you back and as long as it doesn't completely stop you then that's not imposter syndrome does that make sense no it definitely does um I feel like I also see I do agree I feel like imposter syndrome has been kind of the the definition has been kind of taken and people have made their own definition of it. Um, but this is kind of a, 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 I think more of like a personal question based on like your clientele. I feel like I see in, a, I feel like our audience, we're going to have a range of people from traditional backgrounds to boot camps to self-taught. Do you see like a common ground amongst all that, like educational backgrounds of imposter syndrome? Or I feel like I feel like the answer would probably be yes, because that would probably make a lot of people feel better knowing like, oh, well, I am, I only went to a boot camp, and, you know, my colleague has a four-year education and in this, but do you, do you kind of see that imposter syndrome or kind of the, what did you say? I guess it was, I guess really just like the delay or sort of the roadblock that people put in front of them. Do you see that amongst all educational backgrounds? Absolutely. Yes. And in various roles, let me tell you, feeling imposter syndrome is not just junior engineers, right? Senior engineers can experience it as well, um, as well as people stepping into leadership shoes. So I've worked with one client who uh, became a CTO in his startup that was rapidly growing. And he essentially was telling me that the imposter syndrome that he was feeling was debilitating for um, at the beginning of his transition uh, because he felt like the least qualified person. And as the company was growing, they were hiring more and more experienced engineers that had way more experience than he did. So he stepped into the CTO role because he knew the product as the back of his hand. He could talk about the historical background. He was making smart business decisions, smart technical decisions based on the business needs um, and the initial founders thought okay he's perfect like he's going to be our CTO let's 
go for him. So whenever he got promoted to that particular position, what happened was he was experiencing that debilitating imposter syndrome because he was scared that if he was going to talk to his now more experienced engineers working under him, that everything that he doesn't know is going to come out and show. And um, it, it was difficult for the first couple of months, but fortunately we were able to get past it. Yeah. I feel like that's definitely the biggest is imposter syndrome is, you know, transitioning from sort of going from like uh, an associate position to a manager position or even like a director position or anything like that. Um, which kind of leads me into my next question. So once we've reached leadership position in our role, um, what advice would you give to women in leadership roles? So I think that as women, we keep getting this cultural message of you have to be strong and independent if you're really ambitious about your life, your career. And I think that this message has been also taken out of context, just like the imposter syndrome that we talked about a moment ago. And um, in reality, whenever you're growing in your career, something that's really critical is to, instead of being strong and independent, is being kind to yourself and acknowledging the growth that you're going through, as well as being interdependent, right? So being able to leverage the people in your life, allow them to help out and contribute, right? And depending on um, your household, it may have various roles, right? Maybe your husband takes kids to drop them off at daycare and picks them up while you're building your leadership career, right? Um, so it really depends on the person, how their life is looking, but it's it's about enjoying the journey that you're on and recognizing that getting into leadership is going to be a never-ending growth that will allow you for amazing impact, but will also be challenging very challenging so you know a, another moment where you can um, experience the imposter syndrome and one of the things that we also didn't talk about sometimes you know switching from one size one type of a company to another can also trigger imposter syndrome right so if you work at a startup uh, all the time and you're going to corporate or you've been in the corporate and now you're going to startup and whether you're in an individual contributor role or being in a leadership role because the environment is different that can also be challenging. And, you know, I dive more in depth into all those topics like imposter syndrome, um, getting into leadership shoes, creating opportunities for yourself, um, as well as burnout, getting past uh, career stumped growth, um, or handling difficult people in difficult conversations. I talk about all of this in a book that I'm currently writing that um, I'm planning on releasing early next year. Oh, that's amazing. I can't wait. I'm definitely going to check that out. Um, which you did, you you talked about burnout and I know that you're probably going to dive even deeper within your book. Um, but I feel like, and you sort of, um, this brings into my next question that I have. So burnout, um, I think is very common amongst like kind of going into a leadership position. And like you said, like, you know, it really is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Like you kind of just have to take it day by day. Um, 
And what I do see a lot is that when we've reached burnout, it's typically in the midst of um, job change. You know, people are like, okay, I'm, I've hit burnout. I don't know if this is probably the company I want to be with. It's just go, go, go. Um, what advice do you have for people that are probably on the precipice of experiencing burnout about to be there? Um, especially I think it happens. People might think that they have to switch companies like, okay, I've been working for a fan company, big corporate. I'm in corporate America. We're really going at it. I think I need to like step back and maybe go into a smaller, like a smaller company. And maybe that will like cure burnout or something like that. But what advice do you have for people who either are experiencing burnout or they're teetering the burnout road? Burnout is really um, a sign that you're working, um, overworking yourself and you're working without alignment with what you care about, your values, right? So here's the thing. Whenever you realize what you really care about and you start working on those things, you tap into flow states and you tap into unending motivation because what you're doing is just intrinsically motivating. It's, you know, making life fun and enjoyable and it makes you wake up in the morning and have that energy to go after that goal that you have set for yourself right? So burnout is a sign that you're forcing yourself to do something you don't really want to be doing. And I can tell you burnout is not fun because I've experienced it. And um, back in 2019, what happened was I was, um, well, a lot of things kind of pancaked one on top of the other. Um, and I was experiencing complicated grief and um, burnout and postpartum depression and it all kind of exploded right in my face, you know, and I thought I could handle it all. I could do it all by myself, you know, be that strong and independent woman that everybody's telling me that I should be. Um, so that's actually something that triggered my career change when I moved in from software engineering into career coaching, because I found more meaning and more motivation in having conversations like the one we're just having right now a deep conversation on what's important in life on how to create a fulfilling life that's supported by your career because software engineering at that point became kind of meh you know I was yeah. working every day feeling like I'm not being challenged like the things that were intellectually stimulating were no longer fun and I was really forcing myself to get my job done. I would drag my feet, not really want to be in the meetings, not really want to hang out with my coworkers. And it's interesting because four years earlier, when I was hired at that particular startup, it felt like my dream job. Like it ticked all the boxes and all the check marks. And I loved it at the beginning. So a job that was fulfilling at one point in time became unfulfilling because I entered a new chapter in my life. And that's something to recognize, right? Whenever you're going through a whatever life transition, maybe you're stepping into a new chapter of your life of uh, moving somewhere, becoming a parent, having more kids, breaking up with someone, going through grief um, because of a loss in family or 
you know, whatever it is that you're going through, what your values at that period of life might look a little bit different than what it did in the past. So it's really important to kind of check back with yourself and get clear. What do I want? Right. And once you are clear, that's when you start looking for jobs that align with what you want. And there's abundance of tech companies out there, especially in the United States. So you are bound to find whatever it is that you're looking for. That's so true. Experiencing burnout. Yeah. I think a lot of people forget that, you know, especially when you're in a role, like a technical role, you have a lot of transferable skills. And if that job is not, you know, serving you the way that it should be, like at the end of the day, like you really should enjoy what you're doing. And if you're not, um, and you, if you spend most of your personal life complaining about your job, then it's time to kind of like step back and be like, maybe this isn't really what I want to do. Like, sure. It's bringing in a great paycheck, but at the end of the day, like, are you happy? If you're not happy, then you know, it's probably time to reevaluate. Do you see that a lot? Are you, is this, would you say like your clientele are people coming that are like in this sort of, you know, they have a two-way street where it's like they're struggling burnout. They have so much going on in their personal life, which you have to understand like everyone's human at the end of the day. Like things are going to happen in your personal life and it's okay if it does affect your everyday, like you spend a lot of time at work. So it's going to, if it's ends up like, you know, seeping into that then and if it doesn't respect that then you have to also re- reevaluate that um I think that's like a big thing to look at when you're working for companies um like are they going to appreciate you if something happens <laughs> or are you just like a number on a page um but do you find that a lot with like your clientele like people coming in that sort of roadblock of burnout and not knowing like what direction to go in yeah I would love to know like what kind of success stories that you've had as a career coach? I like would I'm I want to pick your brain. Like I feel like we could probably spend hours just hearing like certain stories that you've probably had. And I know that there's probably a lot of listeners listening right now having an aha moment after what you just said, being like, oh my gosh, this is what's happening to me. But do you want to tell maybe some success stories that you have um witnessed? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Yes, so you know I'm really um, excited to hear this. I, and I'm glad you're asking because that kind of shows you what really is possible, right? So I've had clients that came to me at the crossroads, like you said, trying to figure out what's the next step for them. So one of my clients um, uh, that I mentioned earlier stepped into being a CTO at his startup. Another one, uh, he knew that he was going to be promoted. He thought he was going to go from senior engineer to a team lead because the company was growing. Instead, we were able to get into... Uh, create an opportunity for him to become a VP of engineering because what he didn't realize was the kind of setup that he was in and the opportunities that he could create for himself. So after uh, we guided him through the process and he was a career bootcamp changer actually. So for him going through that, you know, um, two levels of promotion pretty much was unexpected and it happened in roughly four months. I had another client who went from, um, he had a military background and he had this kind of mindset of, okay, I need to work step by step and build that recognition for myself because that's how things work in the army. Whereas in tech, you have massive opportunities and you could literally have the same role, the same responsibilities, add 
two different companies and do double the amount that you're making. That's what happened with him. He went from making a hundred thousand dollars a year, roughly, I think it was 105 to $220,000 after we worked together and he realized what kind of opportunities are out there and he tapped into it, right? We also worked through his confidence in interviews, but there are also some other case studies that I really love to share that are not as tangible, right? So I've had this client who moved to the United States. He was an immigrant just like myself, and he had trouble connecting with people. So for him, it was really about uh, building those soft skills because he was incredibly versed in technical skills. But he felt like every time he went out and even in his social uh, social circles, he would kind of push people away, uh, which also transferred to interviews right he had a hard time going through an interview because every time he um, missed a question or didn't answer perfectly right away he would just shut down and really panic inside so we were able to get past that and he told me that the quality of his life after a coaching improved by 80 percent 80 percent because now he was able to go out talk to people being confident without feeling judged and really connect on a basic human level. And then uh, another client of mine who told me, you know what, Dagna, after coaching with you, I think you're right. I don't have imposter syndrome anymore, right? And she was able to then, um, you know, start talking more openly about getting uh, a promotion, asking for what she wanted, advocating for herself. And she told me that it not only improved her um, position at the company, but also trickled down to how she lived her life the family life and in personal situations the skill that she acquired the skills that she acquired were useful so you know i love what you mentioned earlier sarah which is that you know it's kind of holistic right and that's my approach that i take with my clients because whatever you do at work is going to affect your life and whatever happens in life is then going to affect your work so it's really yeah. interrelated and as a coach I focus on the career as the foundation, but in reality, whatever, whenever we go through the coaching program, um, people learn skills that are immediately applicable and not only help with the career, but also spill over on those other domains in life. Yeah, no, it's so true. Do you find that when you have, cause I feel like a lot of people are always like, you know, especially when you're in a technical role, there's like so much to learn um you know no matter what like your educational background was you kind of always continue learning like you know taking courses um through Coursera or anything like that do you end up finding that some of your clients might just mean need more direction they they come to you thinking like oh do I need to like improve my technical skills to get better in within my career growth or is it really just soft skills like do you end up finding like more or less of one of the two it really depends. It really depends on the person. So um, I wouldn't say that there's more of one or the other. But what I often notice is um, a lot of people just going through educational system. And even if it's just primary school, right? Even if it's primary school, it's like we're conditioned to look for that validation outside of ourselves, right? And I help my clients with building internal validation. So they feel confident to go after what they want to do. Right. Gotcha, yeah. So on one hand, yes, it's an, about understanding the tech industry landscape and understanding which jobs pay better than others. If that's what you want to pursue at this point in time in your life, money. 
but it's also about understanding what you're passionate about and how you can tap into those flow states and have unending energy to work on the things that are just that you're just passionate about that's amazing well thank you so much for being here do you have any final thoughts or anything that else you would like to add to tell our audience Yes, absolutely. If you have enjoyed this conversation, please follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. And that's also the best way for you to learn whenever the book is coming out, right? <laughs> oh, yes. Amazing. Yes. Yeah, so they can find you can find Dagna on LinkedIn. Are you on any other platforms, Twitter or Instagram or anything like that? LinkedIn and Twitter. And I have my own website. Absolutely. The website name is themindfuldeaf.com which is where you can also watch the case study and see how working with me potentially could look like. I walk people through in the case study on all the steps that I take with my clients and various results that they achieve as we go through our coaching together. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission, and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash womenwhocode. Thanks again for listening and remember, to subscribe, rate, and comment.